0: One great truth and a hope for us all is that a community of people who share the bond of faith can change any industry and institutionally push back the darkness. Do you realize how powerful that statement is? This is what we are called to do. Chuck Colson once said that Christians are called to redeem entire cultures, not just individuals. We have been given a chance to dream big, ask for more opportunity and see a culture actually change. What could your particular industry look like if the gospel, in all of its power, all of its reach, and all of its intent were present? This conversation was especially intriguing to see some world-class leaders wrestle this idea down. I want to try to spend some time um, without becoming you know, too too, um, too, transparent, that's, that's, that's a, a hard thing, but I just want to talk about your industries a little bit. You know? um, we could talk about each other's industries as well, but I want you to think about your industry some. Because to the degree that leaders of faith are, are, are bringing the gospel and they're, and they're institutionalizing it, to, to, to use a term in, in today's world, mm-hmm. to somehow. Uh, and I'm not saying become a Christian culture, but I am saying they're institutionalizing the true, the beautiful, and the good. You know, mm. give me just some thoughts on where the gospel gaps are in some of the industries mm-hmm. that you that you're seeing. Again, the premise is there's a gospel gap, mm-hmm. and if the gospel could flood in there and patch that gap, yeah. big things happen. M-
1: big things would happen. Um, the leading cause of death for teenagers right now is suicide, mm. like, mm-hmm. specifically in the LGBTQ community. Mm. I look at that and I go, what would it mean for us to fill the gap? Well, mm-hmm. That is a gospel gap that's right gospel there. Gap. And that's a hard one. Mm-hmm. And it's one where... Um, I think that we as believers um, tread lightly into the situation because we're not quite sure where we fall and what do we do. And we're concerned that we're not gonna have all the right answers. (laughs) Um, And I think that is where the Holy Spirit can be so present to work. And I think that is a powerful opportunity, Mm -hmm. one. Two, um, I look at the rise of grandmothers coming um, with their young grandsons who are looking for mentors. And I go, those are the fatherless. That is a gospel gap wow. right there, the fatherless. Mm. And of course, I always think of the poor. Um, that will con- The poor will continue to grow. Christ says, the poor will always be among you. But what are we doing to be among them? Yeah. Are we continuing to let the divide of socioeconomic classes um, Play a role? Are we continuing geographically in the communities that we're being located in to push the poor to the outskirts? Um, are we continuing to house the poor all in one area so the issues and cycles continue mm-hmm. to perpetuate genera- generationally speaking? What does it mean to be a part of those communities? And I think that too is a gospel mm-hmm. gap. And Great. so it all is very.
0: Complex. Yeah, yeah. So, so before we go to Adam, let me ask one more. One of the things I I remember somebody mentioning, and I don't remember who, but they they mentioned that in the nonprofit sector, um, nonprofits are often notorious. I'm not accusing you. I'm asking a question. Nonprofits are often notorious that wanting to be all things. They want to provide all things for the supply chain. Mm-hmm. They don't want to partner with people. Mm-hmm they don't want to collaborate because what happens is when you collaborate you're giving up some power and some leverage and so mm-hmm. you end yeah. up saying we become the thing that does it all yeah. okay as a nonprofit leader would you would you say that there's a gap there's a gospel gap with our ability to work with other people you know i mean I've, we've heard people say this forever they said how many church i mean does everybody have to have a church yeah. does everybody have to have a church building why can't mm-hmm. you all just build two in town one on the north side and the south side and let everybody go and, and that's the outsiders looking in. We yeah. know why we have differences, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But is collaboration, would, would you add that as a third thing, or, would you, or is that more maybe particularized to somebody um, and not an industry-wide thing?
1: You know, I think uh, it is not something that pops to the top of my mind because that's something that I am always very conscientious of as an individual I mm-hmm. look at. And I go, I want to bring churches into what we're doing. I want to bring schools into what we're doing because I know that schools have said to youth pastors, you cannot come in our buildings. But what they have said is big brothers, big sisters, you are secular. You can come to our building. So that's a vehicle. So, but yes, I think that nonprofits across the board, to answer your question, I think there is a lot of competition that happens. I think there's a lot of duplication of services that happen because people want to nuance it, going, Well, I do it slightly this different way, and so I can't partner with you. And so there is an opportunity for the gospel gap to be filled. And I think there's even a bigger opportunity for churches to work alongside secular nonprofits and fill that gospel Mm -hmm. gap. As churches, a lot of times, like I mentioned, you know, they want to do mentoring programs. Well, instead of creating your own thing, instead partner with another organization that's doing a similar thing, that while might not not be under the faith banner, um, Christ is still present. And I love uh, one part of your book that you talked about, about how God uses even the non-believers to see his work get done. And in my industry, I am profoundly dumbfounded by that time and time again. Wow. I am challenged by that as a believer going, gosh, they're doing good work with that kid. And they yeah. don't <laughs> even know Jesus. Yeah. You yeah. know, It's yeah, a good yeah. conviction point to wrestle with and going, where does this fit in the gap and what we're doing to meet the need?
0: Yeah, I, I know that's controversial. Not everybody would probably agree with my, my personal position but you know, I think God's creation—that's the four-story gospel. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of Absolutely. God in creation and in uh-huh. renewal. That God's activities mm-hmm. are going mm-hmm. on way bigger and, and wider mm-hmm. than my particular little swim mm-hmm. lane I'm mm-hmm. in, and I'm not trying to minimize my role. But I, I couldn't agree more.
2: We're in the people business, and we're serving people. But uh, you know, our industry is becoming more transactional and less relational. Mm-hmm. Um, that's both on the loan side, but it's also, I mean, the cell phones in our pockets, you know, there's Mm -hmm. not that face-to-face interaction, you know, online banking, uh, mobile banking, um, the way that's revolutionizing our industry, you don't have that Mm face-to-face. So if you're not getting that opportunity to have that Mm face-to-face connection with our customer, okay, who we're serving, you know, as a leader, it almost limits you know, limits it maybe in a good way, but you're really serving your fellow employees. So two things that you mentioned
0: earlier, we were talking about the caring for people mm-hmm. and the other is talking about truth. Like would, would would a bank ever look at me and say, Steve, you don't need this loan. Oh. Partner, you, you can't afford this <laughs> loan. I appreciate that appetite you have for that big new boat, <laughs> but that is not you right now. No, maybe never. Um,
2: <laughs> so I, I, you know, we we just did something very similar to that in a meeting I was in this morning where uh, it wasn't a no, but it was a, hey, let's start here and do a little less, and we don't want to loan you into trouble. I, I mm-hmm. think, you know, from our standpoint, we're by no means a predatory lender, mm-hmm. and uh, we're not loaning to own. You know, mm-hmm. somebody brings you a good piece of collateral but yet can't afford it. Mm-hmm. We're not willing to take that risk because we can get their, you know, collateral or their asset. So uh, we, we definitely have a, the mindset of the customer of we don't want to loan somebody into trouble. Yeah. But I would say our industry, um, you know, probably is known for doing some of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, whether it's to, you know, get a, get a fee income or whatever they're trying to attract, they might allow the transaction that might be gray or on the fence to take place for the revenue yeah uh, the
0: the things we're holding in co- but in our industry
2: so you know from a community private- community owned or a community bank that's privately owned to a publicly traded bank it, it, there's not a whole lot of similarities in, in what make the two drive yeah, yeah. yeah so it's really hard to put a, a a gospel gap on a community bank that would also fit maybe makes them. sense that makes
0: sense yeah. the thing we're holding in tension is that we have these gaps in the canvas mm-hmm. gospel mm-hmm. gaps industry. But then we have the redemptive edge, the mm-hmm. the, the narrative of the gospel coming mm-hmm. in. The thing about the John the Baptist narrative, again, that captured me is, is the soldiers needed somebody on the outside yeah. to speak mm-hmm. into their world because mm-hmm. they're just a lot of times like me. I'm so wrapped up in my own narrative mm-hmm. that I need somebody on the outside to kind of help let me know where there's some gospel gaps or yeah. things that, that yeah. I could do a better job in. Um, agree? Yeah, Disagree? Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Okay, so... In your life, have you guys seen um, communities, neighborhoods, schools, areas? Have you, have you seen over time the gospel actually kind of, um, not, not, not take over, but root down inside a community where you've seen a community trans, transformed? I, I'm shy of the word movement. Mm-hmm. I don't want to put the word movement on top of this to exaggerate it bigger, but you, you've been able to say over time, the gospel has transformed a culture and a culture I'm using the culture in a in maybe a more localized way. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that happen anywhere in your in your in your personal journey, your narrative anywhere?
3: Having our company. And I I'm I'm gonna guess that that spills out into the hundreds of communities that, you know, our people are located in. But you know, I can remember back uh the middle part of the, you know, first decade in the two thousands. Our our culture was not Anything like what it is today, um, and and you know, and I think that has a, I, I know it has an impact on people. It had an impact on me. I, you know, I've been there 36 years, and there were times when I didn't want to go to work, right? And then, you know, we got an opportunity. Uh, you know, God afforded us this great chance to to redefine and change the culture, and and we walked through that door and said, okay, look, we're going to care about each other we're going to do what we say we're going to do. Yeah, we're, we're going to know our business and we're going to get results, right? We're, you know, we're going to say it in the room. The meeting's going to happen in the room, yeah. not after the <laughs> meeting's over and, you know, everybody sat there like a knot on a log and then when the meeting ended, they start, right? Yeah. No, we're going to say it in the room. But the that famous meeting after it, the meeting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that causes us to have to remove fear and that starts with leadership. You know, you got you to provide an environment where people are willing to, kind of get on the edge. We're going to be passionate about taking care of our customers and consumers. And 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 you know, and 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 once we defined that culture for everybody and gave people permission to behave that way every day. There was, you know, it took a while, but over time there was this collective sigh of relief going, "Okay, I can just be me. Wow. This mm-hmm. is going to be cool." And and you know, the performance of the company certainly improved dramatically, right? right? And so then, you know, that improves, incomes improve, tithes improve, communities get better because you got more involvement. I I think it just makes, you know, the people in the concentric circles of concern around our people better because our people got freed up to be themselves.
0: Um, let's finish. Let's end on this one. Um, the world's changing a little bit, mm-hmm. changing a lot. <laughs> workplace is changing a lot. Mm-hmm. We all know what's not going good with the workplace. And we, you know, we, we know a lot of that, but like, where are there any unique opportunities that you would, you would say as leaders, as industry leaders, or any unique opportunities with all the changing that's going on in the workplace, either with millennials or structures or entrepreneurism, anything new that provides a gospel opportunity in your mind? Anything new, any any opportunity there that maybe wasn't here 30, 20, 30, 40 years ago?
3: Wow. Yeah, I, uh, th- 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 this, this millennial generation, I think is much maligned without much reason. Uh, we've got, you know, and I interact with a ton of millennials and I'm incredibly impressed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think um, you know as we as we try to bridge these gaps to you know having four, four generations in the workplace trying you know to get along and understand each other when we talk about some of the big industry stuff that we've got to do, having people around who are comfortable with technology, who are comfortable with multiple ways to communicate. I mean, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And so having a generation that has a unique perspective around communication, I think opens up an opportunity for the gospel that has never existed before. Now, we've got to find a way to exploit it, mm-hmm. but the the amount of varied communication Mm -hmm. mechanisms that my kids, my kids are between 27 and 31, that they use all at the same time (laughs) is incredible. So if spreading the gospel is a communication problem, we ought to to have plenty of resources to get that done now, right? So anyway, that's that's just something that comes to my mind real quick.
1: I think the millennial generation does an incredible job of weaving together their purpose and calling with mm-hmm. their daily work. And I think that's challenging to to industries when you know we've been at it for years and years. And but it's good. And they want to the compelling thing is they want to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. Yeah. And they don't mean that just in their daily work grind, but also how am I connected to community? How how am I connected to the world? I mean, the world is so much smaller and I love um, the, the global perspective that they bring, where they're going, I'm going to donate money, and I know it's going to a well in Africa for clean water, and I maybe know the village that it's going to. I mean, it's just how small the world has been for them really has helped, I think, transform relationships and the way we do things and how we find purpose in our work. And what Yeah, we're doing. and the great
0: thing about all every one of those, Sarah, you listed off like three or four of them in a row. Every one of those are they're their gospel insider mm-hmm. things. I mean, yeah. like the notion that, that the world ought to be about something bigger than me, mm-hmm. like that's gospel 101 conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the notion that I should be helping someone else out. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's really interesting because there's a lot of gospel yeah. touch points. So mm-hmm. thanks for joining me today. So we've been talking today about the idea of um, of the blue sky. And John the Baptist was preaching the sermon. And basically, at the end of his sermon, he basically says... You know, what did you think? And all of a sudden somebody says, well, a great sermon, will we go do? And then he gave a baseline for every individual. He basically said, if you got two coats, give one away. Didn't matter if your coat was expensive coat, new coat, old coat, blue coat, red coat, didn't matter. If you have to do something of sharing and give it away. Um, uh, do the same thing with food, share. That's a baseline, it doesn't matter. We all are bound to the non-negotiable behavior and attitude of certain things, individually, and organizationally, that, that's there. But then there's this blue sky where my spiritual imagination is supposed to be boundless. It just, it just soars, it goes. I've got to figure out what that looks like for me as a person with my calling, my gifts. I'm not Donnie, I'm not Adam, I'm not Sarah. I don't work in this company, I do work in that company. So I have to kind of figure that out, okay? But once I figure that out, then I find myself locked in in some industry. And the premise of that whole story is at the end of the John the Baptist narrative, the soldiers raised their hand and said, hey, great sermon. We got the thing on the, on the two coats and the food, but what do we do as, as soldiers? Is there some big thing all the soldiers of the world could do that would fill in the gospel gaps? And then the same thing happened with the tax collectors. So here's the premise. The challenge would be for us that if we can somehow um, unleash our spiritual imagination into the blue sky, big, powerful gospel things can happen.